reveal the truth. On December 23, 2019, Temujin Kinsu was accepted into Michigan's CIU, or Conviction Integrity Unit, for processing of his innocence. For nearly the next three years, Temujin, his family, his supporters, and his attorneys were under the understanding and impression that everyone realized this man's innocence and was working to get him out. A clemency application with Governor Gretchen Whitmer was pending and denied by the governor in December of 2020 for the reason that the parole board didn't support the clemency. The parole board admittedly does not consider innocence in its review, so if remorse for the crime is not demonstrated, they will never support clemency. By this time, the state CIU team, led by Michigan's AG, Dana Nessel, was assigning different people to investigate this case. While the case is with the CIU, the inmate is prevented from seeking any other type of relief. No appeals can be filed. The supposed investigation was initially stalled due to a conflict in the AG's office, and later Val Newman was assigned as Special Assistant AG to spearhead an investigation. Ultimately, on May 17, 2022, Temujin's family woke up to find out that Temujin's case had been closed without rhyme or reason. Temujin's family then went to Michigan's website for the CIU and found that its criteria had been changed back in April of 2020 to a very narrow standard, very similar to the appellate court standard, which severely limits what can be considered for review. A.G. Dana Nessel created the unit with the promise of reviewing cases to determine if the convictions had integrity. In doing so, she set the criteria upon establishing the unit and her office made multiple verbal statements in addition to statements followed up in writing about what would be considered new evidence in its review. Even the state of Michigan's website and application form displayed the initial criteria. But then they changed it in April of 2020 and never said a word about it during the entire investigation, nor even hinted to Temujin's attorney that he was ineligible based on the information submitted and accepted. His case wasn't closed due to his guilt. The CIU was publicly silent on their finding of innocence. We don't know why it was closed. We do know somebody with a lot of power is trying to keep him silenced and incarcerated. The state of Michigan is continuing to cover up and hide information when FOIAs are submitted. They refuse to release the recommendation to exonerate based on the CIU's finding of innocence. Further, they are lying to the public and press when by saying their eligibility criteria never changed. The AG has refused to meet with Temujin or his attorney to discuss the case. If you have symptoms or have had a known exposure to someone with suspected or confirmed COVID-19. Hello. Hello. <laughs> Noma, how you doing? <laughs> what is going on, good sir? Hold on one second. I have I have a, a guest. Hold on. Hello, my special guest, will you announce yourself? Hello? Hi, this is Hala. 
I didn't know if I was the special guest or if Kevin was. <laughs> well, hello, Paul. You've got a very pretty voice. <laughs> so, so good morning, everybody. So the 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 purpose for this uh, gathering um, is to talk about the Attorney General for Michigan, um, Ms. Dana Nessel. She is Michigan's AG. I have on the phone with me Tamujin Kinsu, who is an innocent man incarcerated in Michigan for the last, what is it, 36 years now? 36 years, brother. 36 years this man has been in prison. And uh, the special guest is an advocate for Mr. Tamujin and also his fiance in the fight, Paula Kinsu. Um, Hi. So before we get started, I wanted to read a little something from the American Bar Association that deals with the code of ethics on how a prosecutor should act and what a prosecutor's duties are. Going to the scope and function of these standards, as used in these standards, prosecutor means any attorney, regardless of agency, title, or full or part-time assignment, who acts as an attorney to investigate or prosecute criminal cases or who provides legal advice regarding a criminal matter to governor, government lawyers, agents, or officers participating in the investigation or prosecution of criminal cases. These standards are intended to apply in any context in which a lawyer would reasonably understand that a criminal prosecution could result. These standards are intended to provide guidance for the professional conduct and performance of prosecutors. They are written and intended to be entirely consistent with the ABA's model rules of professional conduct and are not intended to modify a prosecutor's obligations under applicable rules, statutes, or constitution. Now, with that being said, I'm going to skip over some. Anybody's more than welcome to go read this on the American Bar Association's website. Skipping down to the functions and duties of the prosecutor. The prosecutor is an administrator of justice, a zealous advocate, and an officer of the court. The prosecutor's office should exercise sound discretion and independent judgment in the performance of the prosecution function. The primary duty of the prosecutor is to seek justice within the bounds of the law, not merely to convict. The prosecutor serves the public interest and should act with integrity and balanced judgment to increase public safety both by pursuing appropriate criminal charges of appropriate severity and by exercising discretion to not pursue criminal charges in appropriate circumstances. The prosecutor should seek to protect the innocent and convict the guilty. Consider the interest of victims and witnesses. Again, I repeat. Consider the interest of victims and witnesses and respect the constitutional and legal rights of all persons, including suspects and defendants. The prosecutor should know and abide by the standards of professional conduct as expressed in applicable law and ethical codes and opinions in applicable jurisdiction. The prosecutor should avoid an appearance of impropriety in performing the prosecution function. A prosecutor should seek out 
and the prosecutor's office should provide supervisory advice and ethical guidance when the proper course of prosecutorial conduct seems unclear. A prosecutor who disagrees with the governing ethical rule should seek its change if appropriate and directly challenge it if necessary, but should comply with it unless relieved by court order. So with that being said, Samujan, how do you feel about that? Well, I think it's a wonderful standard, like the Hippocratic Oath, and far too often, unfortunately, completely ignored by those who take those oaths, get into office, and then uh, act with their own agenda from that point forward. I think that's what we're seeing here in Michigan. And obviously, this is not the only state that this goes on in, but we're seeing it uh, in a very brazen uh, I guess you could say fearless manner from uh, people who believe they can get away with this. And unfortunately for the moment, at least they have been getting away with it. How, how do they get away with it? Well, you know, too often the, the media in this country just absolutely refuses to hold politicians accountable unless they don't like that politician. Or if we have the partisan issue of, uh, let's say, a, a liberal media attacking a conservative or conservative media attacking a liberal. So, um, CNN will call out Republicans and tend to not call out Democrats, and Fox will tend to call out Democrats and not call out Republicans. And that's a common theme in the media, unfortunately. I don't think it was that bad in America. Remember, I'm an old man now. Uh, just hit 59 last week. And um, when I was a kid, you know, and I was watching Walter Cronkite, for example, you weren't seeing that bias. He was just reading the news. So he might be reading about an investigation against a Democrat or a Republican, and you didn't really see uh, a grimace in his eye or a sarcastic comment coming from his desk. Um, they just read the news. And, that, and that's what I feel the job of the media is. I, I think with media like yours, this is what we call sometimes we call opinion media, you have an absolute right to express your opinions. That's what opinion media is about. But generally the media is, is totally uh, – in failure mode when it comes to calling out politicians. So in Michigan, for example, what happened recently with the attorney general is she's been lying to the media. The media has made it very clear they know that she's lying. I've spoken to quite a few people in Michigan media and uh, some national media, and they all agree that she's lying. But are they going to call her out? Are they going to flat out confront her? Are they going to do a story and say she's absolutely lying? That's a different story. And we haven't seen a lot of that to date. Well, this is what I'm doing. I mean, this is this is why I'm putting this together, because this is a, the premise of what my platform is, is is to hold these people accountable. And by showing right. the stories of where I'm calling these people out at, because I'm calling Dana Nessel out, I'm charging her with a violation of, of her ethical code and, and 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 professionalism as as far Absolutely. as it is as becoming a prosecutor, because she is the AG. She's the attorney general. Yeah. She's the top. So right. everything exactly right. under her is going to act in according to how she acts. And if she's corrupt at the top, then all her prosecutors under her are going to be acting corrupt as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. Not only that, they're, they're to keep their jobs as what, you know, what happened in our situation, they're not going to speak out against her publicly, which is really sad when you think about it, because you have, you know, Valerie Nessel, for example, uh, throwing away a career, uh, a well-established reputation in Michigan and years-long service uh, as a respected defense attorney to, to have this short-term job with the attorney general's office and whatever benefits she's getting from this, you know, this selling out of justice. But the simple fact is, um, 
we can absolutely prove that the position that Valerie is claiming is now presently the position of the Attorney General's office, when she's pretending was always their position, was not their position when we entered into this process. For those of you that have looked at the media on this story, you already know about this, and I'm sure Thomas will get into it more in detail. Well, that's what we're going to do now because, I, you know, it's, it's, this here is, is, a, is a call out. So I want to keep this as factual as possible. So this is where I want to bring in our guest, Ms. Paula, and explain exactly how we got to where we're at, where I'm calling Ms. Dana Nestle out. So, Paula, you have a relationship with a woman named Valerie Newman, right? Well, not, I mean, I've I've spoken to her um, a handful of times in regards to Temujin's case. Um, She interviewed Temujin at the beginning of the process and certainly had no indication to him or his attorneys that he was not eligible for um, the Conviction Integrity Unit um, initiative that's, um, you know, that she was charged with under the state um, attorney general. Um, I, I did speak with her after they closed Temujin's case on, I believe it was May 17th. Uh, and I was just, I expressed grave concerns because uh, they didn't, they didn't change their criteria. Um, they, they lied about it. They, they told us one thing. We have an email from the director of the Conviction Integrity Unit, Robin Frankel, expressly stating her definition of new evidence and that matched the conviction integrity unit application that is still on the michigan website on the the michigan.gov forward slash ag conviction integrity website that eligibility criteria mentions absolutely nothing about post-conviction appeals not at all and at some point after um, at some point after 2019, they changed the criteria on the landing page of the website to include, um, the, I'll read it right from, from the website. It says, the new evidence or information must not have been raised during post-conviction appeals, direct appeal, federal habeas, MCR 6.500, etc. That was not there before. They put that up there so that they could match that language up with the closure letter that they sent to Temujin. Okay, so okay, give me... the exact language. Go ahead. Okay, Temujin, explain exactly what Paula yeah. just read. Okay, so what happened was, when we entered into the Conviction Integrity Unit, before there was a Conviction Integrity Unit, Dana Nessel had made promises to look into my case. She was aware of the case when she came into office uh, she was elected the fall of 2018 and entered the office in uh, January of 2019. Mm-hmm. So as early as January of 2019, she had promised uh, people in her circle that she was going to, to do something about this. By April, we were speaking with Robin Frankel, who became the eventual head of the Conviction Integrity Unit. Now, just for all the listeners, uh, we have two kinds of Conviction Integrity Units. Or I'll just use CIU from here on. Uh, CIU. The CIUs are supposed to look at the validity of a conviction, determine guilt or innocence, and if a person is innocent, regardless of appeals or anything else, they're supposed to take action to help secure his release, his or her release. And in Michigan, uh, because we lead the nation in wrongful convictions, places like Wayne County that open their own units have had an enormous number of wrongful conviction clearances. I believe, I believe it's around 76 
and with hundreds of cases pending. So for the other counties, like St. Clair County, where I uh, was wrongfully convicted, there is no mechanism of relief. So the CIUs were created. Now, there are CIUs around the country. Uh, Pennsylvania and, and uh, many other states have these units, and they use a very simple criteria. And that criteria is newly discovered evidence or proof of police and prosecutorial misconduct or other things that might indicate that a person is completely innocent. In my case, there are two very basic claims, an enormous amount of misconduct and a complete lack of any evidence tying me in any aspect of the crime itself. So this was the criteria that was going to be used by the CIU when it opened up. So as early as April, we were speaking with Robin. Robin knows my lawyer from University of Michigan. And when talk came out about what the criteria was going to be, we were afraid it was going to match the post-conviction appellate relief rules in Michigan, which nobody wanted. And I had actually written and expressed a concern about that and said it's going to make this whole thing useless. And they agreed. Uh, Dave Sanders from Proven Innocence shared that with Robin Frankel. And um, with the establishment of the unit, Robin had given a public lecture. Um, my case had been discussed again. And uh, she then wrote a, Dave wrote her asking some questions about the criteria and said, do I have this correct based on the lecture that you gave? And she wrote back and she said, yes, you have it absolutely correct. This is going to be the criteria. Uh, newly discovered evidence is going to include anything that was not put before the original finder of fact, which is a trial judge, or the jury. There was not a word about appeals. And she said, we're also going to consider police and prosecutorial misconduct. Now, on top of this, when the state created the application for this unit, they gave themselves another exemption that specifically says, by the way, even if you don't qualify, in extraordinary circumstances, we can exercise our discretion and act on your case anyways. So that was all you could ever hope for in a CIU, and that was the way that it stayed for three years. We, uh, we met with CIU staff um, throughout 2019. I was the first application that went into the unit. It was personally done by the director along with my attorney. My attorney had given them all of my appellate materials. So there was never, I want everyone to understand, there was never any question of my having raised issues on appeal. That is an absolute lie. So when they say that now, that is an absolute lie. What we have for everybody posted online is the criteria from 2019 when I entered into the Conviction Integrity Unit and their online posting does not say a word about appeals or habeases or 6,500 motions. And, you won uh, your appeal, right? Pardon me? You won your appeal? You won your habeas? So more, yeah, very good. Excellent point, Paula. So more importantly for all of the listeners, even if there was an issue regarding having raised issues on appeal, my case is unique because I won my appeal. I won those issues. And those issues included my being completely innocent of the crime, there being insufficient evidence to sustain this fraudulent conviction, and there being overwhelming, or what we call in Michigan and in the federal courts, great weight evidence, being an enormous amount of evidence of my actual innocence, including polygraphs and numerous witnesses and expert analysis and alibi witnesses and forensics and, and fingerprints and everything else. So I won on these issues. I also won on this revealing of a secret deal that my own judge was involved in. And the prosecution covered up, and the police were involved in and covered up. Uh, the inmate came forward and confessed to everything. And though inmates often do this, again, our case was unique because he provided us all the secret documentation for the deal. Handwritten notes from the prosecutor's office, letters written by the prosecutor's office, 
uh, notes saying the judge wants this done right away. So we actually had all the physical evidence of the secret deal. And it actually says this was done to induce Mr. Joplin to testify him uh, against Mr. Uh, my birth name, Freeman. Mm -hmm. And of course, it also says as a reward for helping secure the conviction of this guy. So they literally said we're giving him this deal to induce him to testify. That is completely illegal. It's one thing when an inmate snitch comes forward. It's different when they go to somebody and say, we want you to do this. And then they plant me in a cell with him. And then, of course, I say no such thing about my guilt. And then he comes out and tells this fantastical story and later admits they gave him all the facts of the case. So that when he was on the stand spouting these facts, it would sound like he must have gotten them from me. This man has given video interviews. He signed multiple statements and written detailed handwritten letters, all admitting that all of this is true. So uh, to Paula's point, even if there had been such an exemption, the unit is still allowed under their own guidelines to act no matter what. It says we have discretion to act no matter what. More importantly, Dana Nessel gave numerous public speeches where she said, quote, it's my absolute duty to make sure there are no innocent people in prison in Michigan. So they've given themselves the exemption to act on a case anytime they want. They're not bound by any rules. And what's also important for everyone to understand is it's, it's beyond unethical and immoral and dishonest to say you don't qualify for the rule that we created when you have the authority to change the rule at any time that you want. It's not as if we're dealing with a court rule or a law or court precedent or stare decisis. We're not dealing with some kind of established law. This attorney general can do whatever she wants with that unit. She can act whenever she wants. And as Thomas once mentioned on a previous program, she doesn't need a CIU to act on my case. Mm -hmm. She's Michigan's attorney general. She can open an investigation to a case anytime she wants. She can assign the Michigan State Police to it. She can sign her own investigative team to it. She can file a motion on my behalf. She can file a habeas on my behalf. She can support something that we file. She can file a civil rights suit. She can sue the county for the abuses they engaged in to secure the wrongful conviction for their misconduct and for what they did to me. So all this nonsense, this, well, there's a rule. Well, there, there was no such rule. What's really sad is I just did another interview with the Detroit Metro Times, and incredibly, this office is still lying to the media. And I want everyone to understand, and I'll end at this point, this is not us saying they're lying. We have the actual website, which Paula mentioned. We have the actual contract. We have the actual emails. More importantly, they talked to my lawyer no less than 50 times. At no point in this three-year process did anybody say, well, no, my Imran, uh, Imran's the lawyer's name. Well, you know, Imran, he raised these issues on appeal. Um, so he's not going to qualify. So not only was I determined to qualify immediately, because that's the first thing they do. They do an analysis. They decide if you qualify. Then they bring you in. Then they do a second analysis, decide if you qualify. And once it's done, they launch an investigation. So I had already qualified. There was no issue of any appeals or things I raised on appeal. And then they did a 2,500-page report. And then they wrote a recommendation calling for my release. Then they refused to release the report. Anytime the media would ask for it, they'd say, well, it's an ongoing investigation. When they started getting calls from politicians' offices, most recently Senator Stamis and his staff has been wonderful, um, on, on a Friday, the following Monday, here it comes. Oh, yeah, yeah, we decided he doesn't qualify. Well, wait, you tell me you spent $100,000 on an investigation for a guy that doesn't qualify? You're telling me you talked to my lawyer 50 times, you did extensive interviews with me, you talked to 40 witnesses, you looked at all this evidence, you wrote a massive 2,500-plus page report, and it literally says that I'm innocent. 
and talks about all the abuses and all the violations in the case. And then you said, oh, yeah, you know what? He is innocent, but he doesn't qualify. So, and one last point I want to make real quick. In this press thing, they keep telling this lie about a woman named Beth Steyer. And they keep acting as if our appeal was, pre our, our request was predicated upon Beth Steyer. That is an absolute deception, and everybody, including Valerie Newman, knows this. And I'm going to tell you why. We didn't have Beth Steyer when we were approved to be in the CIU. Beth Steyer came later. She was the most important missing witness in this case. She was the girl that I was on a date with in the early morning hours in Escanaba when my car broke down just several hours before the murder in a blizzard in sub-zero temperatures up in Michigan's Upper Peninsula in a very distant area, far, far away from the crime scene, back when the speed limit was 55 miles an hour and I had this broken junkie car that literally wouldn't start that morning. And if, we, if you want, later we can get into why Beth is so important. But when they did their little press thing, they keep telling two lies. They keep saying this has always been the criteria. That's an absolute lie. We can prove that easily. We have the criteria from the director. And they keep saying, oh, well, you know, Beth Steyer's a cumulative witness. Beth Steyer was never part of this. We, we never talked about Beth being my, my solution and my, save, my salvation. We found Beth during this. She was just a bonus. She was like the most amazing missing witness, and it was a one-in-a-million chance that we found her. So that's another deception they're still using to this day. So they, they, didn't, they didn't come out and rule that you were guilty or innocent. They just simply no. just closed your case. Well, there is a determination that I'm innocent, but they won't release it. With the 2,500-page report, there was, a, there was a recommendation made to take action on my case. As, as late as last week, they just told Paula, well, we'll give, you the big, we'll give you the big expensive report that has all the horrible stuff in it, the violations and everything, but we won't give you the recommendation. Now, we already know what the recommendation was because, again, we were talking to Valerie Newman for eight months after she did this report, and she was explaining that I'm trying to get them to do something. I'm trying to get them to act. I'm trying to get them to do various things. We looked at filing motions in the court. We looked at doing some kind of emergency petition. We looked at uh, doing clemency, going back to the governor's office and saying to the governor's office, okay, you know, now we have more proof of my innocence. Will you now grant clemency? And um, they're they literally just told Paula last week, well, we'll give you the big report, but we won't give you the recommendation, which is the part that says that I'm innocent and should be released. Now, I want everyone to remember, this is so important. If there had ever been any consideration that I was guilty, Valerie wouldn't have spent eight months talking to my lawyer about her attempts to get me out. <clears throat> Excuse me. So, but, but what is their justification? What is that, that, the absolute reason that they're saying they're closing your, your investigation? Uh, Absolutely none. Their contract promises you that you have a right to meet with them if they deny you. It's, it's in writing, and when you sign it, it's a contractual agreement. It's a promise. We have repeatedly requested to have that meeting. Paula personally requested it on my behalf. Valerie promised to call my lawyer about it. She didn't, she didn't do that. And then I sent another personal message requesting the meeting pursuant to the contract, and they refused to do that. So what they're doing now is they're either refusing to talk to the media where they're putting out the same press statement, which is an absolute lie, and, uh, and or they're castigating people that have asked about this case, treating them very, very poorly, threatening them, threatening to cut them off from future press events for things related to Dana and her office in the election. And um, in my case, they have never spoken to me, not one word. I still haven't even gotten a letter from them saying, hey, um, you're denied. 
they're telling the media that, but I've never gotten anything. And all, as uh, Thomas will tell you, all legal mail for prisoners is tracked and logged. Yeah. So, you know, Dana and Val, if you're listening, uh, or your cronies are listening, uh, you guys are all well aware. You've, you've sent me nothing. I've received nothing. Yeah. Well, so, and, and, and for the listener, if you, if you have not listened to any of the prior episodes, I have 14 to 16 hours logged with, with Temujin. This, this, is, this is not just some guy that's in prison screaming about him being innocent. This is somebody who has been interviewed by numerous agencies for the last 20 years time and time again has told his story there's documentaries there's high school students there's everybody knows about this case if if they study law because of such the the kangaroo court that went on with this man's trial to frame this man all simply because the mayor at that time his son was a crackhead was involved in a crack deal got murdered and they didn't want to expose that and they're doing everything they can to keep this man incarcerated because they don't want to expose all the corruption that's involved. Everything that's going on in Michigan right now, this case Tamujin Kinsu is the, the example of the corruption that's going on in Michigan. So let, let's to, to, to get to the thick of things. Well, before I start with that, Paula, do you want to add to anything that, that Tamujin had said? Um, I mean, just that, again, you know, this is our top effect, um, top elected official doing this. And it, and it doesn't just impact us. What she did here impacts, you know, potentially a thousand or more innocent prisoners in Michigan. Um, th- so this should concern everybody because she's making this standard, a strict standard that was supposed to be the, the mechanism since our governor hasn't, you know, been releasing anybody who claims innocence um, right. through clemency. You know, this was supposed to be the mechanism of relief right. because we know we cannot count on the, the appellate courts. Um, right. So I just I want to just um, emphasize the importance that this isn't just about us. This is about, you know, potentially thousands of other um, innocent men and women who are locked away for life in prison for right. crimes they never committed. That's correct. And I also, I'd like to make one other point, too, if I could, um, as a follow-up to that. And uh, that is this whole game they're playing right now with the, um, well, you can't raise issues you raised on appeal. Now, anybody who knows anything about innocence, and the reason that CIUs don't set an insane standard like that, and, and it just shows you how comical this thing has become, is because... 95 to 98 percent of all the wrongfully convicted people that are eventually exonerated through things like DNA or a, uh, a witness finally admitting they lied or recantations or discovering the actual murder who confesses, whatever it might be. Um, these people have already been through the appellate process. You have 20, 30, 40 years in prison. You've already been through every possible appeal mechanism. So for them to say our standard now is – if you've raised any of these things on a habeas or a 6500 or any kind of an appeal, you can't come to us is to literally say you can't come to us. It's that simple. You have to, according to them, you have to solve the case yourself from a prison cell. And what's really pathetic is they literally said, oh, we don't expect you to solve the case. Yes, you do. You expect them to solve the case and then bring it to you wrapped up in a tidy bow. 
But, and this is very important for everyone to understand, what Dana Nessel has also done is she's made a rule saying you can't have any appeals pending while you do this. Now, when you have an appeal pending, let's say you find the killer and he confesses to you he's dying of emphysema and he... Well, hold, hold, on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold that thought one second. Yeah. You can't yeah. have any appeals pending. That would mean that your case would be closed. Right. She, what she did was she made a rule that says you have to give her new evidence, but you cannot file any appeals. And that means the clock is running out on your appeals. Now, just so everyone remembers who knows this case, who knows my case, I got a ruling in 2010 that I was absolutely innocent of any element of this crime and that horrible misconduct was engaged in to frame me for this murder. This came from the U.S. District Court Chief Judge. And that case went to the Sixth Circuit, and the Sixth Circuit said, well, you know, under the AEDPA, Mr. Kensu, you're late. So we don't care that you're innocent. You filed your appeal late. Go die in prison. Now, Dana knows this. But what she's doing is she's saying, well, if you filed any appeals, I won't even look at your innocence. And yet you're not allowed to raise the evidence of your innocence new on an appeal. You have to go through a whole nother process. So let's say I have an appeal in the Michigan Court of Appeals. And while that's going on, the killer writes me a letter and says, uh, I feel terrible. I'm dying. I want you to know I shot, I shot Billy. And I'm willing to tell my story. You can't take that and run to the Michigan Court of Appeals and add that to your appeal. You have to exhaust that through another state mechanism before you can take that to a higher court. So what she's done is she's created an impossible system that says, like this Beth Steyer girl that we just found, okay, well, we gave Beth Steyer to the CIU. I was not allowed to file an appeal the entire three years that I was in the CIU process. So I couldn't go to an appellate court and say, hey, I found the girl that I was on a date with that morning. She's my most important alibi witness. Nobody ever heard from her. They never even heard about her at the trial because my lawyer never asked the other witnesses about this person, which is deliberate. So now I have her. And, and guess what she told us? She said, by the way, I was interviewed way back then, and I told the police he was innocent. And then we found out they hid the report from us. We found out the Michigan State Police covered the whole thing up. We sued the Michigan State Police, got the report. We won that. We proved that. Well, according to Dana, I can't take any of that to an appellate court unless I want to come out of the CIU. There's five, six, seven more years of my life right there. So she took three years of my life, and now she's playing this technical game. And then she's stupid enough to have her staff go change the website, like, like we didn't have a copy of the original website. I mean, what she's thinking, you know, I, I don't know. I don't know if somebody's advising her on this. I don't know if she had too many drinks when she came up with this plan. But the simple fact is, and everyone agrees, this is just stupid. Well, this is not a, a well-crafted plan. This is come out and lie publicly, rush over and change the website. Well, too late. Guess what? We had a copy of the website before you changed it. Yeah, now and, it says all those things, and just so everyone knows, all those things she added to the site, they apply specifically to me. I had a habeas. I had a 6,500. So she's trying to cover her ass for what she's doing. But again, remember, she's not bound by any rules. She's the attorney general. She's not locked into some legal battle over something. And remember, she wrote herself that exemption that says, I can act anyways. Right. Which she can. So, so go ahead. Please. Well, so why Temujin? Because because we see people being uh, uh, released, we see exonerees coming out of Michigan. They're making a big spectacle of these people that are that are being released, you know. And the CIU is getting people released and and such. So why well, are were. why are they doing all this over Tamujan? 
Well, let me explain something first so everyone knows. Another lie they've been telling is every time they do the little press release about me, they add this little thing that says they've, they've freed four people so far. That's an absolute lie. That unit has denied uh, about 620 cases so far. Uh, there may be more. We know of at least 620 cases they've denied, approximately, uh, which is more than half of the pending cases in that unit. She's trying to take credit for – It's by the way, it's three cases, not four. Um, but she says four people. That's a lie. So the Gilbert Poole and Corey McCall cases were done through Western Michigan University and Cooley, who received grants, as did Dana, to do things like forensics. So DNA and uh, fingerprint analysis and things, semen analysis and so on, and rape cases or rape murders. And um, so those two cases were specifically done by Western Michigan University and Cooley. These were not cases. Remember, I was the first case in the CIU, and I just got denied. Okay. So she did not do some big lengthy investigation into those two cases and clear those guys. Somebody else cleared those guys, and then she just signed on to it and took credit for it. And she came out and did a press release, and she stood around with Gilbert, and she said, oh, my God, when you see an injustice, you just have to act. And, you know, was implying like she just rushed to save an innocent man. That was a year and a half ago, and she knows that I didn't commit this crime. So she doesn't give a damn about an innocent man. That's obvious. Right. Um, the Corey McCall case, she did not do. The second are the DeJesus brothers, and one of them was actually done by my team at the University of Michigan, and the second one was done by Western Michigan University and Cooley. So again, she's lying. Now, uh, I have multiple defenders from Cooley. The founder of Cooley Law School was former Michigan Supreme Court Chief Justice Thomas Brennan, one of my uh, most amazing defenders, and former professor there, Ron Bretz, who's in my documentary, Justice Incarcerated, on YouTube, is one of my defenders. So while she's lying and taking credit for these cases she had nothing to do with, the truth is the state CIU has done absolutely nothing. And on the most notorious case, a case followed all around the world, she's not only decided to throw me to the wolves, uh, which are her friends in St. Clair County, but on top of that, she's now coming out lying, trying to take credit for cases she didn't do to imply, hey, but, but I have done some justice stuff. And the truth is, no, she hasn't. Now, I know this aggravates some of my defenders, you know, who feel she's been a champion for justice, but I don't, I don't know what they're talking about because I have her history. She's done some things on rent. She's, you know, she's prosecuting a, a pedophilic Boy Scout. <clears throat> but as far as her being a champion for justice, one of the biggest issues in Michigan are the abuses in the Michigan Department of Corrections, the mistreatment of female prisoners, uh, the massive denials of medical care. Uh, we just had another murder in my housing unit last Monday. Well, let me rephrase that. The guy was in my unit. He moved up front and he was murdered. But the point is uh, there's rampant violence in the MDOC right now. It's worse than it's ever been. The civil rights violations are worse now than they've been in the MDOC in the last 25 years. And I have constantly called out this governor for not getting rid of Heidi Washington, our present MDOC director. And just so everyone understands, this is not an inmate bitching. The Michigan Corrections Organization's entire body of over 6,000 members did a no-confidence vote calling for the removal of Heidi Washington, the governor wouldn't even talk to them. Now, Democrat governors are generally very pro-union. Um, this governor is friends with this woman, and so she simply refused to do anything about it. And I think you can be friends with somebody and still say, you know, they're not doing a good job. Can I just Go interject ahead. here real quick? Yes. Um, I'd, I'd just like to say that multiple prisons across the state have, um, we've, I've been in contact with multiple prisoner groups, yeah. and there's been prisoners from multiple, at least six now prisons, that state that they're not receiving ice on high heat index days, 
Right. Which is just, in my opinion, literally going to incite a riot. Like, and she's doing nothing about that. And and I just, I just want to point out that these are the types of things that she does that are completely abusive. Yeah. Yeah. See, we have have sealed prisons. We have sealed prisons in a lot of Michigan where there's no ventilation. Yeah. Uh, For example, at the Oaks facility. And so when you're in those rooms, and I've been there. Uh, those rooms get to 110 to 120 degrees. Yeah. There were promises and orders put out quite a while ago to provide uh, ice water, for example, to prisoners. And I don't think, just so everyone knows, that's not mollycoddling prisoners. They get a $2.6 billion budget, and we get nothing. Ice water is free. Yeah. Inmates make it. But regardless, well, and they, the point we, is— we can, go, we can go on for days yeah. about—because down here in Florida, one of the biggest issues is there's no AC in state prisons. In oh, Florida, yeah, no, there's no, none in Michigan either. Well, yeah. yeah, but you're in Michigan. In Florida, you're dealing with 110 degrees and 99 percent humidity in a building in a facility where all they have is a ceiling fan. You know, right. and, well, just just so you understand, you know, Michigan is not what it was 30 years ago. We don't get winters here anymore. It's it's shifted. When I came to prison, we had huge winters. Those are gone in Michigan, unless you're in the way up in the Upper Peninsula. Mm-hmm. So we get almost no snow downstate now. Uh, presently right now it's sunny and probably 95 degrees uh, outside in the units it's it's easily 105 to 110 and um, we don't have any ceiling fans but the, the so except in a little day room area where you're packed in you know 60 or 70 strong if you want to watch TV and over the screaming and yelling for a few minutes but the in, the inhumanities of, of prison I mean is is yeah. is extensive it's in every prison and it's not going to yeah. change until we rewrite the 13th amendment to stop looking oh, at, at as as the convicted as slaves but But it takes us back to dana because the reason that this matters is that dana and gretchen promised to be the social justice reform governor and attorney general they were supposed to be completely different than what we had before they they supposedly cared about all these abuses now the women are being abused horribly in michigan prisons too and that's been going on for a long time paula went down to a massive protest at the huron valley facility and people were carrying signs saying where's heidi you know why isn't she here to talk to this massive crowd that gathered uh, people from every possible background were down there because the Huron Valley facility is filthy. It has black mold. The women are living in, in squalor. Well, so, it's just uh, it's yeah. just like when I was up in Michigan, Temujin, and it was on yeah. George Floyd's birthday. And they were yeah. the, all these all the representatives were up there for the picture. They had the news there and they were all reading oh, these yeah. reading yeah. these people's names out. Right. Yeah. And and the criminal justice reform a segment of of that rally was right after that all these people did was read off their names and then they hauled ass they didn't stick around for criminal justice reform they don't care this is what i'm trying to get the people to understand is that these people get up on their stage in front of their cameras with their suits on and they say things that they want us to believe but this is not what they this is not how they conduct their professionalism off camera these people right. are corrupt, villainous criminals, and this is what I'm trying to expose. So you can either listen to us or not. The One of the reasons why you're not listening to us is because we're convicted criminals, and you have been right. trained not to listen to us. You have been right. trained to, to, to hear everything that we say as a lie, as a cry of abuse, and we are showing you factually firsthand how these people are breaking the very laws that they make. They make the yeah. laws for you to hear and, and say to yourself, oh, these people are doing what they said they were going to do, but they're not. Right. And as Temujin right. said from the very beginning, we are not holding these people accountable when they are not doing what they say they are going to do. 
So that is why I'm calling Dana Nessel out. And I'm calling out that this woman should be removed from her seat because as I explained earlier, she is the AG. She has shown corruption. She has shown that she lies to the people that she has sworn to take an oath to protect. Right. And so therefore every, everybody under her is going to be corrupt. Well, you're absolutely right, and, that, and that's one of the problems, too. You know, um, Valerie had a good reputation, for example, and now the whole legal community is talking, and we're getting all these emails, we're getting all these phone calls, and people are saying, I can't believe she did this, and she's she's losing all of that credibility. And now what's going to happen, and we tried to warn the AG about this, is now the people who are opposed to innocence are going to say, wait, isn't that the same snake woman that participated in this lie over the Kensu case? Isn't she the one that got caught reading that phony statement? Listen, I'm holding right now in front of me the original guidelines from the Conviction Integrity Unit. And all that garbage to put out there about appeals, this is what it actually said originally. For, number four, the claim – hold on a minute. I apologize. All right. You must present a claim of actual innocence, meaning you did not commit the crime. You must not. Uh, you must have been convicted of a felony in the state of Michigan. It says the claim must be capable of being investigated, so all that applies. Ready for this? Here we go. Here's what it said about appeals. Nothing about post-conviction remedies or habeases or 6500s. It said at number five, the direct appeal requirement. The direct appeal must have become final. The CIU will not review claims solely alleging judicial errors, such as unfavorable uh, court rulings or procedural errors, which, of course, we, we weren't alleging or arguing. Um, it specifically said, ready for this? Um, information not placed in front of the original finder of fact or the jury. It's very specific. Evidence or information not previously considered by a prior finder of fact, such as a jury or a judge. So there's nothing about things you raised on appeal or any of that nonsense. It's all pure garbage. And for them to come back now and say this has always been the rule, this is always our standard. And by the way, they open up they open up their original site with a list of duties of the prosecution, and it specifically says when a prosecutor finds out somebody is innocent, it says they have to go notify the court right away. So did Valerie notify the court because she's functioning as an attorney general, as a deputized attorney general? Did Dana Nestle go notify the court? No. Instead, they played this little game where three years later we're going to try and find a reason to say you don't qualify. And um, – that, that, that's not just beyond shameful. And it, by the way, this is what it says their duty is, ready? It says their duty is to investigate claims of innocence, ready? And determine whether or not there's evidence of innocence or the person convicted of the crime committed the offense. To this day, they will not answer that question. And all of their documents and their press releases say it is their absolute duty to determine guilt or innocence. Right. To determine if the person convicted of the crime committed the crime, not – we did a massive investigation. Now we're not going to comment on your guilt or innocence. We're going to say you don't qualify. How can I not qualify after everything is done? But not only that, aren't they, aren't they making the statement that this new witness, this Beth Steyer, wouldn't add anything, any new context? Wouldn't yeah. she, like because the jury, you know, so it's it's how can you make a determination of what the jury would have found during that trial? Right. Well, let me explain why that's so important because this, this is uh, another thing they're lying about. So uh, when witnesses are cumulative, let's say you have 22 people that saw you somewhere and uh, you didn't commit the crime. And then you find one more person that saw you there and now you have 23. But they're all saying the same thing. I saw Dave that day. He was at the wedding. Everybody saw him at the wedding. So if you find one more person that saw you at the wedding, people go, oh, okay, so what? 
All right, even though, how did you get convicted with 22 alibi witnesses, or in my case, 12? Uh, and this doesn't mention the 10 they didn't question, just so everyone understands. I had far more alibi witnesses that were not questioned and were not called into trial. But all of that aside, and they still support me this day too, but all of that aside, the reason why Beth is so incredibly different is an enormous part of my defense is that my car was broken down the morning of the murder 500 miles away in Michigan's Upper Peninsula, which was snowed out, by the way. As I said, we had massive storms in those days. And um, so I'm with this girl, and so we, are, we go out to dinner, and we're driving around, and we decide we're going to park in the car, and we're going to neck a little bit. Nothing, nothing crazy, just kissing and talking, playing the radio. But it's very, very cold. It's freezing. So it's about 2 o'clock in the morning, and she's very concerned she's going to get in trouble for being so late. And I'm kind of like, ah, don't worry about it, you know, because I want to keep her around. She made it very clear to the police that I was not only not trying to leave, that I was not trying to go get somewhere far away to go kill somebody, right. that I didn't want to leave, that I didn't want to go, and that I didn't want her to go. Now, if I've got to go kill somebody in four hours downstate, 512 miles away when the speed limit back when it was 55 by the way and half the up is snowed out so i got to get across the up just to get to the mackinac bridge i obviously would be rushing to get off this date but she said no he he was not trying to leave at all yeah. he wanted to stay so when she's complaining and it's also cold i go to start the car and the car won't start and so that led to my having to call paul demars to come give me a charge to go to the standard station next door and get the cables from the station attendant who remembered me. And later on, Paul, Beth, and I going into this Elias Brothers Big Boys where we were sitting parked, meeting with the manager, Scruffy McNamara, who remembered us being there, and getting this broccoli soup that they only had at that night. He gave us big tureens of that for free. And we ate that while the battery was charging on the car. Uh, eventually, Beth was very upset because now it's like 2.30. And she's sure she's going to get in all kinds of trouble. And once again, she makes it clear that I'm saying, don't worry about it. I'll tell your, I'll tell your family it's not, it's not your fault. None of this is your fault. My car is broken down. Remember, we had no cell phones in those days. So um, eventually I said, Paul, you know what? Why don't you take her back to her car? Because I picked her up from where she worked at a restaurant. I said, why don't you take her back to her car so she can get back home? And so she got in her car and she drove back home. And by then, my car is running, and so I pull out of the big boys' parking lot, probably about 3 o'clock in the morning, and I head towards my house in Rock, which is another half hour away, way out in the woods and even farther away from the crime scene. And, of course, as we all know, Shelley's made it very clear that I was there with her the morning of the murder in bed and that I got up when the dogs got up and had to go outside to use the restroom. So to say that Beth doesn't matter is insane because at my trial, Dave Dean not only didn't call Beth to testify – but the police, you know, I want everybody to understand, and best confirm this too, I didn't know her last name. I thought her last name was something like Spear. I'd seen her locally. She's a very pretty girl. You know, when you see a girl, you don't go, hey, what's her last name? Yeah, yeah. So I met her. I, I went into Ponderosa one night to eat, and she was working there. I was like, oh, that's that Beth girl I saw over at this McNamara guy's party. Uh, Brian McNamara, Jeff's brother, Scruffy, Scruffy's brother. Mm -hmm. And um, I asked her out, and she's like, well, okay, yeah, sure. And I took her out to this very nice place called the Stone House to eat. Um, and so when I tell the police about this and my lawyer tells them, he comes back to me and he says, oh, yeah, they look for that girl. They can't find her. So we mean they can't find her. She works at Ponderosa. The kids up north all know her. Then he comes back with this story that her name is Beth Spear and that the police said she was interviewed and she doesn't remember anything. And I'm like, well, that's an absolute lie. There's no way she forgot being on a date with me. And um, I know something's up. But with all the other things I'm fighting with Dean about and the other 20 witnesses he hadn't called and the experts he didn't call and so on, Beth was just part of that whole package. But 
when Paul DeMars and Scruffy McNamara are on the stand, all he had to do was say, hey, who is he with? He didn't even ask about Beth. So the jury not only didn't hear about why Paul came to get me where my car was being charged and broken down, or why I was at the big boys in the first place at 2 o'clock in the morning, they didn't know that I was on a date with a girl who had told the police I absolutely was not trying to leave. Now, later on, a person said to me, you know Dean was setting you up. And I said, well, why do you think that about this? He Dean, said, is, Dean is your attorney. Yeah, well, but he said, he said, why do you think? I said, well, what do you mean? He said, think for a second. Dean just let the jury know that you were in a car trying to get somewhere at 2 o'clock in the morning and that your car broke down. You weren't at home. You were out in town at 2 o'clock in the morning. He made it look like you were heading off to your road trip to go kill that guy. And I was like, son of a bitch, I never even thought of that. Mm. That's why he didn't call Beth. That's why they didn't give me her real name. And that's why he didn't ask Paul or Scruffy about Beth. It took us all those years to try and find Beth. And we, and we eventually found who we thought was this person. And she was deceased. She it was a woman that had died of cancer. She was the right age and everything. And I was like, this is horrible. I'm sorry for her family. And also, I've lost my most important witness. And But one day, Herb, while we were already in the CIU, literally felt he had a message from God to go back and look at this Beth thing again. And he did. And he went through this whole roster of people from that area and names and he said, I found a woman, but it's Beth Steyer. He said, I think that's her. And he found her, he called her, and sure enough, it was her. It was That was Beth Steyer, not Beth Spear. Amen. So the prosecution had lied to us about the name. So then we found out, of course, that the Michigan State Police knew about her all along. A, a trooper named Larry Shemansky had been talking to people in town while I was already in jail. And they were like, oh, my God, there's a bunch of people that saw Mickey up here. And they gave the police six names. And said, here's people to talk to who might be able to provide an alibi for him. Uh, we were never told about that police report. And at the bottom it says, well, I attempted to share this information with Port Huron, but they told me they were no longer interested in it. So I want everyone to realize what happened. Because remember, the Attorney General knows all of this. She has that report. Yeah, I mean, she, if you have, if you know all this, she yeah. knows all this. And she knows right. more. She fought, she fought to keep me from getting this report. Right. We had to sue the Michigan State Police to get that report. When we got it, we found out, of course, the CIU had the report, and it says right on it. So think about the criminal misconduct there. The Michigan State Police called Port Huron and said, hey, we found six people to say they know that this guy was up here at that time. And Port Huron says, yeah, we don't want that information. And then the Michigan State Police makes no attempt to get it to my lawyer. They make no attempt to get it to me. So they go find witnesses that say that I'm innocent. They tell St. Clair County. St. Clair County is like, yeah, we're not interested in that. And then they just put it away. And then when we find out about it, they know what they've done. So they try to hide it from us. Can and you... we sue them, and then they try to redact all the names of my alibi witnesses from the report. And we had to sue and go to court and have a hearing in front of a judge who said, what the hell are you doing? And we finally got the report. But remember, Dana Nessel knows all this misconduct took place, even Do... early on in the case. Can you so pull why up... did can... she act? Just on that alone. Can you pull up the – can people research that lawsuit against Michigan for, for... – Yeah. Yeah, in fact, I'll have Paula give you the site. We'll make it publicly available. Yeah, so people can see just to verify that what you're saying yeah. is accurate. You know what I mean? Yeah, so it's true. The attorney was Barbara Kennedy. She did a phenomenal job, and we won uh, a wonderful ruling, and we got the report, and we got the names, and guess what? Best name is in there. So, so for the CIU to now say that none of that matters, this is the only witness that says, hey, he's not trying to go anywhere. He's trying to stay. And the CIU stands for? A Conviction Integrity Unit. 
Okay. Or as we presently call it, uh, the No Integrity Conviction Unit. Hmm. Well, Actually, and, we and make that name up. Somebody else in the media did. In in my opinion, T, and like I told Paula, I, I really honestly think that it it has to do with how you speak, your personality, and who you are versus your conviction, uh, or or the your constitutional rights for that matter. I think that what I see going around in America is a scramble for voters. And I think that that these political parties are trying to lock themselves in and however they can to secure votes. When I look up Dana Nessel, I see her top stories are uh, dealing with going after Trump supporters and yep. and uh, penis jokes, penis jokes, public drunkenness and going uh against the abortion ban yeah so these are her two biggest issues that i see in the top stories when i google her name um and and these are the issues going going across across the nation so for me irregardless of how a person speaks intelligently unintelligent unintelligently it doesn't matter if he can read or write what matters is, is this person in prison as an innocent person? And if you're going to call yourself a prosecutor, which I read the code of ethics of what a prosecutor is to stand by, you know, the ethical code, then you are to look at every, every avenue, every avenue that comes in front of you to decide a person's innocence or guilt. And when you have a whole nation of people that are are screaming this man's innocence and there's as you heard as you heard this man just elaborate all of all of of what we know as facts how as an attorney general could you sit there and as a human being could you sit there and say that you've exhausted every remedy to figure whether this man is innocent or not how can you say that as a human being how is your yeah. life how is your yeah. life, Dana Nessel, more important than Tamujin Kinsu's? Oh, she's absolutely convinced that it is. This, this woman doesn't care about innocence. Because she, all this crap about rules and criteria is garbage. She makes the rules. And, and she doesn't, she's not bending the rules for me because, as I said, she specifically wrote a codicil that says, I can act anyways. I don't need any rules. And here's the quote on their site. The CIU may also, in its discretion, invest other claims of actual innocence and or wrongful convictions in extraordinary circumstances, even if you don't meet these criteria. As far as the criteria goes, and they keep lying and saying there's all this appeal stuff, what it originally said is for the CIU to recommend the conviction be overturned, the investigation must lead to discovery of evidence that was not considered by the trier of fact, the judge or jury, during the proceedings that led to conviction. Now, that quote is so important. Then say a freaking word about things you did through appeals over the 20 or 30 year process you were fighting to, to get out of prison for the crime you didn't commit. It says the original trial. So everything they're saying now is a lie. And they have to be called out for that lie. They have to admit that uh, – I don't care if they say a mistake was made. They have to admit that a mistake was made because to get away with doing this to me, they now have to do it to thousands. So guess what they did? They massively changed their site, made it even more restrictive, and now they're having problems in the Wayne County CIU 
who we're being told, and I haven't confirmed yet, is going to be adopting a much more strict standard because they've had so many exonerations down there. And everyone, this is about money and politics. Dana Nessel got something for this. Everybody knows this. Dana Nessel knows that Valerie made a recommendation to secure my release. We know that because Valerie made that very clear. That's not secret information. She's legally allowed to share that with my lawyer. That wasn't part of some secret process. There was a finding. She took that finding and she went to Dana Nessel and said, this guy's innocent. For eight months, nine months, they played this game. They would call and ask her silly little questions, uh, the spelling of my wife's name, stupid things that had nothing to do with my innocence. And they got more and more media pressure, and more and more articles kept coming out saying, why is Temujin Kensu still in prison? There's a, a professor in Germany that runs a whole college course on my case. <laughs> there are multiple colleges in the U.S. that run courses on my case. It's that bad. And this woman is so cowardly and so self-centered and so self-absorbed that instead of saying, wow, you know what? I can get a name for myself by fixing the worst case in the world, which is talked about everywhere – I'm going to get something else for myself. And so she got something. Well, and and and, and I want to put times. And and I want to put Valerie Newman on blast as well because how I see Valerie Newman now from my understanding is the same as as Jerry Sandusky's assistant coach that walked in and exactly. watched him raping a little right. boy and turned around and did nothing. This is the same exactly the same right. premise. Right, because oh, yeah, she trumps herself as this great champion of justice who really cares about this issue. And in fact, what she cares about is her 401k. It's that simple. And this she is this is the call out. This. this is what I mean. This is exactly what I mean, Tamujin, when I say that there are no good police. You cannot have good inside of bad. I'm not saying that this person is a bad person. What I'm saying is that you know that you're in a corrupt organization and yet you are still trying to champion yourself as a good individual without calling yeah. out the corruption that is around you because yeah. fear of losing your career, political suicide, right. all of this crap. Right. So right. you would rather let an innocent man die in prison that you don't know has no infliction oh, on your family absolutely. or anything like that. You can go to sleep yeah. and write this person off because you still have your job and that's what matters to you. Right. So shame yeah, on Valerie used, Newman. She's using the Nuremberg defense. She's been using the Nuremberg defense since day one. Well, it's not my fault. It's not my fault. I'm not the decider. I didn't make this decision. Passing well, the buck. What? The law on this is so clear. Your ethical duties are so clear. And you're going to have to explain this to the state bar. And you're going to have to explain this to a judge and a jury. And you're going to have to probably explain it through a Senate investigation. Because we're looking at that right now. Well, this is what I'm trying. This was the premise of my show, to, T, is, is getting that started, Right. I want an investigation looked into these people, and I want the people of Michigan, people of Flint, people of Detroit, people, you are calling out the corruption, and you, you, you are first to say this, this government in Michigan is corrupt. Oh, this, absolutely. This and, is you know, where— There's a huge racial component here, Thomas, because about 90% of these CIU cases are minorities. I know that, these and I wanted to get into that as well. Yeah. yeah, these are uneducated kids that come from poor families— they could not, like me, they couldn't afford a good lawyer, so I, I had that definitely going against me. I don't have the racial component because a bunch of white people did this to me, but guarantee me, guarantee me and you both, that county is notorious for the racist verdicts that come out of it all the time. St. Clair County is a little den of Klan activity. But all of that aside, she knows what she's doing because as a multiple press agents said right away, 
it, the only way to justify doing this to you now is to do it to everybody. So they wrote that crazy criteria. And to be, like I said, to be so stupid as to put that online, when we have, I'm looking at the original stuff right now, and there's not a word of any of that crap is on there. So then to go, oh, it's always been our criteria. You're lying. I'm looking at it right now. Watch here. Here's one of my downloads from their site from 12.919 that I was reading to you. So they're lying. That wasn't the criteria. This is after I signed my application and I was accepted and approved that this was on their site. So the point is what they're doing now is, is they're lying and they're saying this has always been the case. Oh, and by the way, they, they throw Beth under the bus like she doesn't matter, which every legal expert has said is pure garbage. And Valerie's pulling the the Nuremberg defense, and Dana's getting away with not having to talk about it. So when she gets calls, if it's media she needs for something else, like the Detroit papers, well, then she gives them the bullshit statement. If it's media that she knows is not that fond of her anyways, they just refuse to answer anything. Mm -hmm. So I just spoke to a wonderful guy, uh, Eddie Allen, from the uh, Metro Times, and he's been trying to get a response. Just so everyone knows, because they get millions of tax dollars, they have one phone number, and they never, and Paul will tell you, they never answer it. They have one phone number for this agency, and they don't answer the phone. You cannot call your attorney general's office in Michigan. You cannot get them on the line. So that's what that's what Dana's done with that office. One one number and a closed up, filled up voicemail box. That's insanity. That, that's that's. I mean, think about the craziness of that. You, she's getting hundreds of millions of dollars to run this agency, and nobody can answer the phone. So unless you're an inside person, you can't even call somebody in her administration and talk to them. But these are public officials. Yeah, elected public officials. And this exactly. goes into, I mean, this goes into what I'm, I'm saying about all our communities. You know, we have all of these officials up there making decisions about our communities and you never see them. You never talk to them. They never come in our communities unless they're, they're with bodyguards and bulletproof cars and all of this stuff. They're so out of touch of what's going on in our communities, yet they're, they're making decisions that affect people's lives, you know? So yeah, that, this, this is, this is what I want to do. I want to call these people out. I want to make the public aware of the lies and deceit that they do in the face of the people. And you have to know that you can't trust them. So maybe criminal justice is not your forte. Maybe you don't care about crime. Maybe you don't care about criminals, but just know if she lies to you about this, she will lie to you about whatever issue or topic you care about because all she cares about is votes, right? And that's right. all I see is this mad scramble all across America about controlling the vote for the midterms coming up. Let me um, let me read you something else from their site to show you how dishonest they're being right now, too. And, and Paula, take note of this, too, because they had two postings online. I have them both. On their second posting at 5, this is really important. It says, final judgment must have been entered by the trial court. And options for direct appeal must have been exhausted. So ready for this, everybody? They mandate that you go through all of your appeals first before they'll look at your case. Then they mandate that you waive all the appeals for any new evidence that you find. Then they mandate you give them the new evidence all pre-done while waiving all of your appeals. And then like with me and with Beth, they can come back and go, oh, you don't qualify in a technicality after they have – denied you, excuse me, accepted you because you qualified. So what they just said is, you have to have all your appeals exhausted. Oh, we're going to deny you because you exhausted all of your appeals. Then they say, we don't expect you to solve the case. It actually says that. Um, but then they expect you to solve the case. And then when you solve the case, or get more evidence you solve the case, you can't raise an appeal in any state court. Well, and, and they 
warn you, you're losing all of your time limits. Well, the biggest thing for me is you said that you have to waive, waive all your appeals to be accepted into yes. the CIU. Exactly. Specifically says they will not review any cases where you have any pending appeals. And right here it says our work, ready, does not toll the time to file an appeal or any post-conviction motions that may be appropriate. So while telling you you can't have any appeals pending, they tell you, but the clock is ticking. Now remember, the attorney general is the person that fights you on your habeas. So she has the right to say, okay, I'm not going to hold you to the time limits because you were in my CIU. So let's say she decides she's not going to help you. Well, that's, I mean, that, yeah, that's, appeal and say you were late. there's no, yeah, that's, that's absolute. I mean, there's no question. That is evil. That, that is pure evil. There's no question that by the time it got date stamped, time stamped of me entering right. into the CIU, all my appeals can be, can be nullified at that moment, put on pause. Right. right? right. I mean, it's. And she's, and she's the one that makes that decision. So this is how evil this process and this woman really is. And there's no nice way to say this. Well, no, she wants you to waive your appeals, not. but then she warns you the time limits are still ticking. And then if you go, okay, well, I've got the Beth thing. I guess I have to do a habeas on the Beth thing instead now. She'll come back, and she's going to file a motion to have your habeas dismissed for being late, even though you were in her CIU waiting on her to help you. If that's not evil, well, this is so deliberate, if this whole thing isn't a sham, I want any lawyer to tell me where I'm wrong about any of this. And guess what? I've talked to 10 and not one has said that I'm wrong. Well, that's what's got me. It's that's what's got me so perplexed is like because you are telling me that if I waive my rights, right, or or put put my 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 right to appeal to the side to come into your integrity unit, which you are accepting me into. Right. And say now you can hold me in that integrity unit by just pacifying me, telling me we're looking into your case. Meanwhile, the clock on my time limit for appeal is ticking, even though that I accepted the wave that because you invited me into your integrity unit. And then at the end, after my appeal has exhausted itself because I'm relying on trusting the CIU, the Conviction Integrity Unit, because you invited me in, you accepted me in. Now you come and you tell me, well, we're sorry, we can't do anything for you. What happens to my appeal process now? Right. Well, that's the whole thing. This is all deliberate. They, she never intended to help anybody. I believe other CIUs absolutely intended to help people. She never intended to help anybody. Because you wouldn't make rules like this. And then you wouldn't do what you did in a case like mine, where the whole world is watching and knows you're lying. And you wouldn't keep lying once you've been busted for the lies. And when we have your original website, you know, remember something? They're not calling us liars. They're just lying. They're not saying, Mr. Kensu's lying. That's not what our website used to say, because I'm looking at it right now. And this one of the sections that's so important, it's on both forms of their site, says the evidence must be evidence that was not considered by the trier of fact, the judge or jury during the proceedings that led to conviction, not through the appeal process. There's not one word about appeals in here anywhere. They're doing this because in my particular case, we have found 73 things from the Philip Joplin confession and the secret deal to Beth Steyer and my polygraphs and the fingerprints not being mine and so on that helped to further prove my my innocence. Rennie Gobain lying about his employment history and, and it just goes on and on and on. You know, and, for those, Ballard, and for those and for those that don't know, 
And, and for those that don't know, Joplin that that Temujin keeps referring to was the star witness that was uh, he was right. he was uh, an inmate in the local county jail when Temujin was right. brought in. He was planted on Temujin to to expunge right. information from him, which happened to me in my case. So I know this that yeah. this is what happens. Oh, right? super common. It's, it's super common, right? Yeah. Super common to, to because you're in a you're in a fragile state, you're in an emotional state to send somebody in that's looking to get time off their sentence to extract information from you about your case by befriending you as a celly and hey man you could talk to me and I'm going through the same crap and these people are so Joplin and they were was furious that it didn't work and and they were furious it didn't work well and Joplin was this star witness because Tamujin did not. did not expunge his information about his case but then Joplin still got on the stand and made up a bunch of stuff that Temujin told him this Temujin told him that but however more importantly Joplin became ill and on his deathbed which which was on the news right yeah, like yeah. he said this through the on whole, the, through the whole two years of illness, he was admitting that he had lied about everything on the news. He told the people like, man, listen, I just wanted to get out of jail. These people coerced me. They told me they right. would let me go if I just right. told them whatever they wanted. This man said it on the news out of his own mouth that he lied. And this man is innocent to let this man go. That's right. And then they killed him for it. You know, uh, Philip Joplin was a, a military veteran, even though he had an extensive criminal history and drug addictions. And so he was being allowed to go to the veterans hospital and he developed uh, acute hepatitis and cirrhosis of the liver. And um, normally he was allowed to go to the VA. The, the MDOC allowed that in those days. But after he did this stuff and he pre- appeared in the television programs and uh, the ABC specials, he was told, he was called in and told, you're not going to the veterans hospital anymore. And we have the actual letters he wrote about this where they were doing things to get him in trouble. They were calling out his name over the PA saying, hey, there's detectives waiting to talk to you. Do you want to talk to them over the PA? And they would do that when reporters would go down to see him, for example. They would lie to the public, to the prisoner population, and yell there were detectives there, giving the appearance that he was a snitch, which, mm-hmm. of course, he was. But, you know, snitches don't want people to know that. Right. And so he'd say, no, I'm good. I'm not talking to no police, when it was actually – interviews that had been arranged to get him to talk more about the case. And then, of course, they began to deny him his medical care. And he got sicker and sicker. And he began to write us letters saying, they're, they're killing me. They're literally telling me why they're doing this. They're saying St. Clair County said, you're going to pay for this with your life. And he did. And eventually he was denied all care, uh, nothing, nothing, not even pain medications. And he, uh, he was slipping in and out of comas, which is normal with end-stage liver failure. And eventually he slipped into a coma the last time and he died. So there was no doubt in anybody's mind that he that he was murdered. And if people think that this doesn't happen, just to give you an example how obsessive St. Clair County was, in 1990 I was at the Lapeer Correctional Facility, and the sheriff himself at that time, Dan Lane, went through insane lengths to try to have me transferred out of the Lapeer Correctional Facility because you know, they, they felt I was in a prison that was too nice. Now this is a, the level of insanity that you're dealing with. They wanted me uh, welded into a cell in Jackson. Now, just so everyone understands, as far as crimes go, even if I was guilty, in the MDOC, my crime is considered like nothing. There are people here that have raped and killed children and cut their heads off for entertainment. And if I was guilty, it'd be a grown man killing a grown man over some kind of a dispute. So inmates really think nothing of that unless they're you know, related to somebody involved in the case. But Dan Lane acted as if I was Charles Manson. And I had to be 
you know, welded into a supermax facility. So they battled and they complained and they wrote protest letters and they made phone calls while they were killing Philip Joplin at this very same time. And um, eventually I was taken out of Lapeer and I was, I was banned from that facility for like eight years with no misconduct on my part. It took me like eight years to get back there. After that, Sheriff was gone and Robert Cleland was gone and, you know, the Macklins had lost their political juice. Then the MDLC didn't care. And suddenly it wasn't an issue if I went back to Lapeer and I was allowed to go back there two more times. So that's the people that you're dealing with. That's the kind of monsters they are. And, and, these, and, these, people, me in jail, and these people, some of these people are still in, in effect, right? I mean, they're still in their seat. Like the judge well, in your of, case, most of, your most judge of passed away. Yeah, but the, well, the judge in your trial is he? Isn't he still an active judge? No, no, no. My, my trial judge died. Uh, he died. Everybody that did this to me died horribly. Uh, you know, it's it's really um, an amazing. I guess you call it a coincidence that uh, eleven of the people that were most primarily involved in doing this to me all died horrible, horrible cancer-related deaths. Um, the latest one was. Um, Dave Hall, who was just a monster, and one of the most corrupt cops in San Lac County history, and he died of a blood-based cancer last year. Uh, this is the one who, uh, you know, wrote like a nine-page, completely insane, rambling lie about this case uh, months after I was arrested, claiming it was his notes from a phone call he, that he said he listened to. And when we got his actual notes in the phone call, there wasn't a single thing he said in this report. Not one word of it was in the report. In fact, it was me calling Crystal a psychopath and saying she was a nut job and, you know, I had, I had moved to get away from her and everything. But he was just – the guy was just, you know, just pure horrible. He'd been involved in all kinds of scandals. Um, he's the latest one to pass. But, yeah, Thomas Houlihan, John Bounds, Harry Hudson, Judge Corden, I mean, uh, Philip Joplin, obviously, who, you know, who lied – other people who helped arrange that lie. They've all passed away. Um, uh, almost every single one of them died of uh, cancer. Your attorney died. Uh, cancer. Yeah, you name it. So there's nobody. What? The only ones left right now are Robert Cleland. Um, the Macklems were not directly involved in the case. They, they tried to lie about it, but they got blocked. And um, uh, Crystal Merrill and her crazy husband, Chad, who's obsessed with me, too, and, and gets everything wrong about the case when he when he rambles publicly. And, um, you, of course, Robert Cleland is still on the bench. He's despised. He's got his own little private court down in Port Huron. He, he whined and sniveled. The other judges didn't like him. And eventually they built him a special little courthouse down in the Port Huron area, uh, which is, again, unheard of. The spoiled baby gets his own little courthouse. You know, uh, he Robert was in Bay City and Flint and places like that. Yeah. Yep, and that's Robert whined. After my habeas called him out and you know the chief judge of his court said he was a lying scumbag uh he he first he he refused to attend their annual event which was a really big deal for the judges and then lawyers and inmates started filing petitions saying hey you're you're the scumbag that framed the innocent guy right i don't want you on this case and they started giving him like maritime cases and bankruptcy cases and things like that but he was you know he was notorious for writing just childish asinine opinions his legal work was was jack it was like inmate level legal work, and um, I'll give you a cite for one of the cases when I get a chance. The um, Rajita Crowey case. One of the one of the additional pieces of evidence of how Robert Cleveland was trying to frame me was he tried to get a member of the Chaldean Mafia to implicate me in murder. Uh, bear in mind, I'm a 23 year old punk kid living in the UP. I don't know anybody in the Chaldean Mafia, but this guy filed an appeal, and um, apparently. Uh, he said that Robert Cleland was trying to, to get him to say things about me back when he was trying to frame me for the Macklemore. He wanted to just, he needed anything to try and get me. 
So he was reaching out to other jurisdictions trying to get them to charge me with crimes. He was trying to get Washington State to promise to throw me in prison for my little bad check charge, and um, which, by the way, has been taken care of. Washington State was wonderful about that. And um, that didn't work. And so then he was actually trying to get this Chaldean guy who had a bunch of investigations going on to help frame me. And that guy later, when he did his habeas, he put all that stuff about Cleland in his habeas. We didn't even know about it until Herb found it. So that's just how crooked Robert Cleland really is. And we're just, we're just learning more and more about this guy all the time. I mean, who knows how much dirt there is on this sleazeball. And I think that's one of the reasons why they won't, they won't undo this case as well because they know that oh, yeah. all of the corruption yeah. that's going to come out from yeah. from yeah, releasing absolutely. you, yeah. you know, it's just, it's just, yeah. but that's that's their bone to bear, you know. Yeah. So. Well, you know, we we've also talked quite a bit to the media about how um, uh, Mona Armstrong was a corrupt prosecutor out of St. Clair County. She actually tried to force uh, Herb Welser, my detective, to lie in a case, and Herb refused to do it. And Mona never forgave him. She was actually castigating Herb at my public hearing. This man is like a saint in St. Clair County. They call him Father Herb. He's uh, a high-ranking member of the church. He's done everything from drive the school bus to, you know, uh, take care of all the events. He's just an an amazing human being. And um, he's loved by everybody. Uh, he, t- he cares for all of his family. Runs a farm. His wife's got a candy business. He's just—he's just—he's one of those Mayberry RFD salt of the earth, you know, guys who's just given his whole life to that community. And Mona uh, wanted him to lie on a case where she wanted to convict this guy who was innocent, and Herb refused to do it. He's not a dirty cop. He wouldn't do it, and she was furious. And she's so sleazy that when I had my 2010 public hearing, she was sitting there ragging on her. But I see he's not here today. You know, Hmm. he's got a bone to pick with the county. And it was just it was pathetic. And so I went to ask him. He said, well, no, she wanted me to lie on a case and I refused to do it. And she she literally never forgave me. So here's a guy with an impeccable reputation who solved dozens of murders and he's had every job you can have down there. And here's a sleazeball nobody prosecutor. It's nobody ragging on this superhero because he wouldn't lie in a case that she had. So anyways, uh, she guess what? She, she was Dana Nessel's girlfriend and roommate in college. So these two were living together when she was going to Wayne State, and they were just best buds, and they're still best buds now. So a lot of people think the fix was in. We've gotten quite a bit of media telling us off the record that they're receiving word that this whole thing was a setup, that Dana never planned on fixing this, that it looked so bad she had to cover her ass on it. And that's why she eventually said to Robin, oh, you know, Robin, you've got this conflict. You've got to pull off because Robin's got a lot of integrity and she's talked about my case. And so in comes Valerie Newman. And, you know, Val talked to me one time in all this time and she refused to ever speak to me again. And then she would lie and say, we're not allowed to do that. Well, they have no rules that say you cannot communicate with anybody you're working on the case on. And then after this massive investigation, she never asked me one question. You're telling me you didn't have one single question about a 2,500-page report? You just think you got everything right? And I'm probably going to find a million errors in there because it's clear that she wasn't trying to do a good job. She would not speak to Paula. She would barely tell my lawyer anything. And she wouldn't talk to me. And I would write her all the time and say, what about this? What about that? And she wouldn't even answer. Or I'd send a message and she'd say, message received. And that would be the end of it. Well, it's, it's, so, apparent, it's, it's apparently clear that unless we have these people removed from their seats of power, that you're, oh, yeah. you're never going to get a fair shake at your innocence. And not only you, but the thousands of others that you claim right. will be affected by what they've done specifically to you. Oh, yeah. This is going to hurt a lot of people. And, you know, so the problem that we have right now in Michigan, and, and that's not uncommon, is 
that, you know, I have some wonderful supporters in, in you know, uh, U.S. Representative Rashida Tlaib and Andy Levin have been fantastic, and uh, Michigan Senator Stephanie Chang has been fantastic. They've been great advocates. But it just shows you, again, how little our Attorney General thinks of these amazing people because they've been saying, hey, you know, are you going to fix this? Are you going to fix this? Are you going to fix this? And she stabbed them in the back when she stabbed me in the back. She spit in their faces when she spit in my face because – these issues were very important to those people, and those people do an enormous amount of work for the state and for criminal justice and civil rights. So to take these three people – and Stephanie was running the campaign for justice long before she was in office. And if anybody Googles uh, U.S. Rep. Andy Levin, he has done so much. When that journalist was stuck in Myanmar, Andy was one of the ones raising hell trying to get the guy out. He's not just a politician. This guy got into office to fix things, and when he sees a problem, it doesn't have to have anything to do with his constituents or his jurisdiction. It has to do with who he is as a person, and that's probably because he spent you know, 20 years in China and India, and he studied Buddhism and Taoism and everything else, along with being you know, part of the Jewish community, is he really cares about people. So when there was a murder on a college campus here, bam, he was on it. You know, When, when he learned about my case, bam, he was on it. So, you know, these are good people that should be in office and that should stay in office. The, pr the problem we have now, though, is, you know, obviously they want to keep Dana in because she's a Democrat and they feel that she's better for the state than the options we have. And the present option is Trump-backed Matt DiPerno. And, um, you know, Matt DiPerno is uh, apparently has some investigations going against him, and the Democrats despise this guy, you know, with a passion. And I completely understand that. I understand their position. So... You know, who do we replace Dana with? The present option is, uh, you know, Matt DiPerno, because that's who Trump backed, so that's who the Republicans are backing. And, you know, Matt DiPerno uh, probably is not only not going to win, but he's got several investigations going on against him. You know, he might wind up losing his law. Well, the, the thing of it is, is, is we, <laughs> we can't focus on who to replace the person with, I think, because the simple fact remains that there are probably a lot of good people who would be good in that position, but won't speak oh, up because they know sure. of the corruption yeah. that right. that is involved in that. And they just don't want to be part of that because they're scared to yeah. speak out like Valerie Newman. Right. She may want to speak out against these people. She probably knows that what's going on is wrong, but she's oh, scared she's to. She knows. So but, the, but here's the thing, you know, what, what Valerie should have done. And I know it's easy to, to you know, armchair quarterback. But what Valerie should have done is very simple. The minute that Dana brought this to her, she should have said, nope, not, we're not doing this. Unless Valerie was part of this all along and this really was a setup. She said, she should have said nope, we're not doing this. And by the way, now that I know you're going to try to do this, here's what's going to happen. You're going to do the right thing in this case because you already told me you know he's innocent. I don't give a fuck what you're getting and who you're getting it from out of this deal. And if you don't, I'm going to the media and you are not going to be attorney general again. And I'm sure Dana, because Dana's notorious for screaming and yelling and ranting and hissy fits and retaliation and all that. I'm sure she would do all that to Val. And if Val was smart, she would just calmly say, listen, you can scream and yell and rant and rave all day long. If you fire me, I'm going to sue you and I'm going to expose you. And then Valerie's credibility as a lawyer would have gone through the ceiling, and she would have said, I stood up for corruption, and here's who I am, and she probably could have gone into elected office. Well, her. well, but the thing about that, T, is, is just like the interview that I just had with Mark Caruso, which is running for House down here in Florida, right? House yeah. seat, District 38. The thing, like, he's known as a whistleblower for doing exactly what it is that you just said. And, and, that's what, and that's what she should have done. But the, yeah. thing, but the thing of it is, is that he has been ostracized. Like, so, yeah. so 
of course being a whistleblower within within a corrupt organization is not a good thing you're going to be ostracized you're going to be alone and valerie probably be ended ended up probably getting fired or, or reassigned in some aspect and she knows this and i'm not speci- yeah, but- and, I, and i'm not specifically speaking about valerie because she could be just as corrupt as the rest but i'm speaking well it's looking i mean it's looking at this point like she is but but, but what i'm thing, saying but but what i want to say in defense hold on before what i want to say yeah. in defense of those individuals i was using valerie as an example but those individuals that are in that spot you have to listen yeah. to me you have to be able you have to be the one to speak out against the evil that you see and us community us community has to be the ones to stand up and rally behind you so that you, you know you have people behind you that are going to defend you and you're not just going to lose your job. And, and we have to start speaking out against this corruption. Yeah, well, listen, here's the thing. Valerie Newman couldn't get ostracized. This, this, is, this woman's so famous she's repeatedly been on Dateline. Okay, she, had, she has the power and the political juice and the reputation where if she had stood up, there's mm. nothing Dana could have done to her. Because bear in mind, she, now she has the secret information of how Dana's trying to frame an innocent man or maintain a wrongful conviction. Dana's, Dana's notorious, like I said, for doing bizarre, crazy, irrational things. But what she's not going to be able to do, if Valerie had any stones, is do anything to Valerie once Valerie says, here's what's going to happen if you do this. I mean, you've you got, you got a retaliation whistleblower lawsuit worth millions of dollars, and Valerie's not going to be ostracized from the community because Dana is despised in Michigan. This is not some loved political figure. The Democrats hate this woman. I, have, I cannot tell you the number of Democrats, including elected officials that I won't name, that despise Dana Nessel, and their basic feeling is her career is over after this. She's going to get some consulting job and some crap. She's definitely not going to Washington. But the point is Valerie had the power – Keep it all quiet and say, you know what? We're not doing this, Dana. We're not doing this. I'm gonna, I'll am gonna, i run your CIU if you want, but you're not going to do this. And if you try to do this, I'm going to the media. You're not going to get a second term. You're probably going to get criminally prosecuted. You're definitely going to get sued. And in the end, you're not going to win, and this guy's still going to go free because there's going to be a massive investigation. And then Val's credibility goes to the ceiling. I don't think she comes out as whistleblower because, remember, she's been doing this innocent stuff in Michigan for a long time. Yeah. She comes out as superhero for absolutely showing her credibility and innocence issues. Plus, this is a woman who can give Dateline a call and be on the air the next day. They love her. She did the, the Ray and Tommy Hires cases, and they, you know, they, they were all over her and singing her praises, as, as was I. I didn't really expect this from her. I got suspicious about probably about close to a year ago, and I began to send her some messages saying, you know, it's looking like this is pretty fishy. And sure enough, you know, I, I was right. Well... These are the things, man. You know, we just we just have to get this out. I want to bring Paula back in. Paula, is there anything yep. you want to add? <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> gosh, you guys have covered so much. Um, I feel like you know you, you covered most of of everything, every point um, that that I would have contributed. Um, you know, just that yeah, it's landing back. It it seems like in in the clemency area of Governor Whitmer and um. You know, we're just hoping that she fixes this for Dana. Like, this is her opportunity to, you know, make this correction now and, and save the AG. Well, and we know that yeah. she's not because she had the opportunity to sign his clemency and she didn't. She didn't, right. That's so we have, another, we have another one going in now. We just, we just hit the, uh, the, the time period. And, you know, there's some things we can't talk about that are going on behind the scenes. But 
what we're hoping they'll see is – I'm hoping two things will come out of this. Um, whatever my displeasure with Dana Nessel, and, I, and I've made no attempt to hide that because I'd be lying if I did. And I was, I was kissing her ass for a long time when I knew – I was learning more and more bad stuff about her and what was going on. But I was trying to be you know, civil, thinking she might still have some integrity and do the right thing. And you know, my bad there. But regardless, as far as as far as what we'd like to see come out of this, I'd like to see two things. I don't expect them to apologize to me because that woman hasn't got an apologizing bone in her body. You know, she bitches about Trump not apologizing. I have not seen her apologize for anything, including her drunken antics. So I don't expect it now. But I would like her to fix the CIU. And so as far as an out goes, there is no question everybody knows what happened here. The governor has a, a very simple path in front of her. If she's politically astute to take this case, to call it out for what it is, to say it's a terrible injustice, I care about injustices, and I'm going to fix this injustice, and then use that as part of her political platform for her second term. And that would be the smartest, simplest move. It kind of it shuts down the whole debate about the CIU, because guess what? If the governor fixes this, eh, so what? You spend another two weeks in prison is what it really comes down to. Because even if Dana had said, okay, I'm going to do the right thing, and she doesn't do the right thing. But let's say she said, I'm going to do the right thing. There's still a, there's still a delay process there. You know, there's still a fight as to what she can do. She can't just wave her hand and get me out. But the governor can. The governor has pre-made commutation clemency forms, and she can literally, with a stroke of the pen, make this all go away. She doesn't have to come out and comment on it if she doesn't want to. Or she can come out and put out a statement and say, it's a terrible situation. Uh, my staff have looked at this. Whatever anybody thinks, this guy served three times the national average for this crime if he was guilty, which he's not. Um, you know, he's got the lowest possible score you can have for security points in the MDOCs, 59. He has serious health problems. And everyone agrees this man's innocent. And everyone agrees there were terrible injustices that led to his wrongful conviction. And he's suffered horribly since he's been in prison. So she has all the legal protection she needs. There is no army of Republicans that are fighting to keep me in here. Those wonderful articles you recently saw by George Hunter and Nolan Finley, for example, came from a very conservative paper. So who have not been the friends of our governor, our attorney general. So this is a very bipartisan issue. This is not partisan. Even, even Rashida Tlaib said this is not partisan. It's obvious this is a travesty of justice, and bless her heart for doing that. Um, so it, it's a very easy fix. If the governor is willing to fix this, what it lets me do is go out and fight for the innocent. I had hoped that would be with Dana Nessel. I had hoped that, like some of my friends, I'd be standing there next to her, talking about her her integrity unit and about her integrity, and you know, and showing that she really did care about this issue and she wanted to fix it. That's obviously not going to happen. Right. So I'm, I'm willing. I'm willing to mend the bridge, but she is not going to mend this bridge. Well, By no, she's not. This, she's made it clear. She's so not. It's, it's an act of war. Yeah, no, it was an act of war. And 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 this is and this is and this is where we need the people. We need the people. We the people. We need public public support to come forward and start calling these people and putting them on blast. We want a public. We want a public announcement on this as to why they closed this investigation. We want to know why. These people are lying, right? We want to know. We want to know. So, T, with that, um, I think, I think, I think we got enough, man. You know, it's 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 just we have to we have to hold these people accountable. That's the bottom line. Like we said at the top of the the conversation, if we're not, these people are going to yeah. do whatever they want to do. And again, this specific 
topic may not touch you personally or you think that it doesn't. But when we are working 60 to 80 hours every week to pay our bills and we have no time for our family, we have no money left over. We're paying all of these taxes to these people that do absolutely nothing that they say that they're going to do. They do not adhere to their professionalism. They do not adhere to the code of ethics that they took an oath to. They don't care. These are blatant attacks to the American citizen. Like, we don't care about what you think, America. We're going to do what we want, and you're going to keep working, and you're going to keep paying us. Yeah, and I've, and I've said this many times in the past, too. We've gotten this point where, you know, uh, we, because our day-to-day lives are so hectic and we're so busy, we just don't have the time to fight the way we should be fighting. And the people in power know this. And so politicians come out, they can say any crazy thing they want. They can make a million promises, get into office, and keep none of them. And, you know, people can say what they want. I always say this about Trump. Uh, a lot of people hated Trump. But one thing you can say about Trump is he kept, like, 20 of his promises. And uh, And Joe Biden, you can say you hate Joe Biden, but, man... He said, I'm going to ruin oil, and he's ruining oil. He didn't mention he was going to ruin the economy, but he's definitely doing some of the stuff he said he was going to do. He talked about the college tuition thing. He says he's going to do that. So you can hate him, and you know the way things are right now, a lot of people do. But I'd, I'd rather see a politician come in and at least do some of the things they say they were going to do. I have not seen with this present administration uh, any really strong adherence to these these promises. But I think Gretchen has a chance, you know, to say, I care about criminal justice reform. And she did, she did sign the um, Clean Slate Act, which was phenomenal. And um, she has a chance to say, hey, you know what, there are some problems with the system. And this is really messed up. And she's also she has a chance not just to save, you know, quotation marks, Dana Nessel, but to save the integrity of this whole thing by saying the clemency process is here for when the system fails. That's why it's there. It's there for when the system fails. That's what Dana's CIU was supposed to be. She's now decided she's not going to be that person, but the governor can still be that person. She can be the best person, the better person and say, I'm going to fix this. And then when she fixes this, maybe Dana will feel more comfortable fixing the CIU because it doesn't affect me. You know, a lot of people think that, well, we already know she's already screwing people over. And she's also looking for guys to try and exonerate. So she can go, oh, no, I exonerate some people. See, Ketsu's wrong. We've already, we get right. word from inside the office. You know, there are people that hate her that still work there that are already feeding things back out. And we'll be getting a lot more. And there are former employees that aren't crazy about her either. So, great. If, if that leads to some innocent people getting out, okay, fine. I'm, I'll be the bridge that you cross over and the guy that you walk on the back of. But I'm, I want the governor to do the right thing here. And I'll be the one singing her praise and saying, hey, you know what? She took a stance for justice. She did the right thing. Um, but we're not seeing that yet. Now, I do not know what Gretchen Whitmer knows about this case. We know she has been approached a lot by amazing people like Senator Levin. We know that she knows. I don't know what Dana has said to her. I don't know what anybody else has said to her. I don't know what right or wrong information she's gotten because they don't talk to us. That's part of the process that has to be fixed. There should be a person that's speaking with us so we can say – just give just one example. I don't want to bore everybody. But they, the, the AG for years has been saying three witnesses watched him gun down Scott Macklin. There are no witnesses, and nobody saw anybody shot, and nobody said anything like that about me. And yet to this day, there were AG staff running around saying that. I, list, I actually listened to one say it to my face. Three witnesses watched you gun down the guy. And I was like, you're the biggest dumbass I have ever met. <laughs> There's a million miles. Yeah, his name's James Farrell. There's a million miles about this case online, and nobody has ever 
claim they watched me shoot Scott or that they saw anybody getting shot. Better yet, saw me with a gun or firing a gun. You're you're an idiot. Oh, come on, you know you did it. There's a, And then it, he would just keep saying stupid things. It was actually at a deposition we were having. But he works for the AG's staff. He's a complete moron. He's famous for being a complete moron. I've been whipping the guy in court. I'm going to be whipping him again soon. And um, the point is, he works in that office, and he was making these stupid comments. So even in her office, there are people saying things about the case that aren't true. Right. They've done it in briefs. They've claimed that I killed Scott with a sawed-off shotgun. Not only was it not a sawed-off shotgun in this case, the coroner said the gun was probably a duck gun with a choke on the end, or the exact opposite of a sawed-off shotgun. Mm-hmm. Big, long, skinny barrel with a big you know, choke on the end of it, not a little teeny uh, gun. But that's scary, and it's a federal offense, and only you know, horrible criminals have sawed-off shotguns. Right. So they will lie. And so I don't know who's been lying to the governor. I don't know what she's been told. I think Senator Levin was obviously very honest um, because he researched the case thoroughly. But as far as what staff are going into her saying, you know, he's a ninja, uh, we don't really know what's going on. So if they would talk to us, it would make it a lot easier. And um, I, like I said, my hope is that the governor will do what's right because it's the right thing, not because she owes me anything more than she owes any citizen, including Scott, truth and justice. But keeping an innocent man in prison is not a way to build a reputation as a justice warrior and a person who talks about her higher angels all the time. She'd be listening to her higher angels on this one. And um, obviously the world agrees that Tim Jenkinson is innocent. So let's hope that the governor of Michigan agrees that Tim Jenkinson is innocent. And she fixes this. And if she fixes this, it, it stops all the controversy. You know, I can't really sue the attorney general if I'm free because she's going to file a motion going, yeah, so what? He did two extra weeks in prison or he did two extra months. It's not really grounds for much, you know. Right. And um, – Maybe if I'm free, she'll be much more comfortable fixing her CIU. If she gets a second term and I'm home, you know, and I can go to all the political rallies and talk about the innocence issue and how Michigan's governor stepped up to the plate and did the right thing when the system failed. And then Dana can come back and say, upon further review, we've decided to fix our process. You know, and there's a, there's a real simple solution. So I guess I'd ask everybody to support Governor Whitmer in that. And, um, you know, uh, I would make one cool note Paula just learned about recently. There's actually um, this professor in Germany we're going to be reaching out to, as who I mentioned is doing a, a course on this case. And it just shows you the impact that it's had, that people in the German justice and educational system are, are talking about how bad things are in America because this innocent guy that everybody agrees is innocent can't seem to get out of prison because the political officials and the court won't fix it. Mm-hmm. And they use that to show how superior their system is to ours because they don't have that problem in Germany. They've never had that problem in Germany since World War II, and they don't have it now. And it's the same in Canada. They have like an 11-stage appeal system. So they don't have that in Canada. So they talk about my case up in Canada. They go, yeah, down in America, they got this Kensu guy, and they do a whole thing on it. And they say, look how bad things are down there, eh? <laughs> yeah. Eh? Well, Tamujin, take care of yourself, brother man, and just try to remain as positive as you can, and and oh yeah, you know, and and just uh, we'll continue. You know, I'm super grateful to you. Well, I appreciate that, man. I'm grateful to you no, too you've because been a, you've been a loyal friend and a and a loyal uh, a loyal defender, not just for me, but for others about these issues. And uh, we're gonna we gotta blow up your program and get it out there. Well, it's doing pretty good now, man. I mean, I got about forty thousand listeners worldwide. That's a that's what Paula said, yeah. Yeah, we got to get you some really cool theme music. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. 
some cops. Or the theme music from Chips. That's what I want. You can probably use that now. It's like, what, 40 or 50 years old? I think you can use that now. I'm going to see. I might use that as my little theme music now, the Chips the chips theme. Yeah. Well, I'm glad your program's blowing up, dude, because you, you've been awesome. And uh, to everyone out there, thank you for listening. Thank you for caring about these issues. Yeah. I'm always here if you ever want to ask any questions or have any ideas. And if I can help anybody out there, please let me know. Um, we're going to be supporting some people uh, in the very, very near future, um, including – um, a gentleman who's related to the uh, the person from the um, uh, Detroit Metro Times who's writing the great article on the case. And uh, what Paul and I have been doing is we've been out there tweeting for others, too. This, as she said, this is not just about us. Paul has been an amazing advocate for people out there that are suffering. So every one of you should know you can do this. You can get involved. You can make a difference. Paul has done it. She's got a full-time job. She takes care of me, which is a second job. She takes care of four little pupper cats, which is a third job. And she still manages to fight for others too. So uh, take a little time and find somebody out there that could use your help. And you know, just if you just give them a few minutes of your time. Imagine if uh, a couple thousand of you did that. Yeah, no question. And, um, That's all it would take. Yep. yep. That's all it would take. So take care, Paula. Thank you for joining in on this conversation. All right. I love you, Thomas. Thank you. I love Thanks, you. Bye. <laughs> I, yep, I love you guys too, and and then um, and till the next time, man. Hopefully, it'll be I'll be flying up there to meet you, man. I got my bags packed. I'm ready to get up there. All right. Well, remember, dinner's on me. Yeah, no <laughs> question. <laughs> All right, buddy. All right, guys. Take, easy, bro. Take care. All right. Bye bye. Thank you. Thanks. Bye.